check. Hello, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. This episode is actually the audio from a an event that I did at UF's College of Pharmacy at the Orlando campus. It was centered around networking and marketing. And uh, the end of the talk had a, a Q&A session with the students, but um, you were not able to hear the questions. So I'm going to go ahead and overlay them um, throughout the episode. You'll hear me kind of popping back in with uh, exactly what the questions were before um, before I answer them. One thing I do want to mention, though, is that the audio is quite poor um, on this particular episode. I'm not sure what happened with my lapel mic, um, but the audio was very choppy, and I really do apologize for that. Um, but I did not want to not have this be posted, even though the audio is not good quality. So, um, again, my apologies for that. Um, I'm going to be checking on these mics and see if what exactly is going on or if I need to get a new one. I don't know. They usually work fine, um, but for some reason... Uh, that particular day, the audio is just kind of going in and out. So my sincere apologies. Hope you enjoy. Whenever I have talks like these, I'm usually assuming that no one's like met me or heard of like anything that I talk about. Um, but it looks like the majority of the room has either I saw them at Pathways and met with them and talked there, or they previously like listened to the podcast that I have. So I'm gonna go a little bit like a, a bit into like anyone that has not heard. Has have anyone here not heard the podcast or like especially like one of the recent ones or been at Pathways? And saw my talk at Pathways. Everyone in here saw the talk at Pathways. All right, perfect. So that means I can like not. I'm not gonna talk about that stuff because I don't want you to just hear the same things. I'm gonna talk about new things that um, will be relevant to like networking and. Um, and uh, owning a business, entrepreneurship, and marketing. So um, I'm really just going to skip over like all my intros. Everyone already knows me, and then I'm really going to talk briefly about this, and then I'm going to open it up for Q and A, like we did at, at Pathways. So you can ask as many questions as possible, as detailed as possible about anything. I, I would be happy to answer, and um, try to provide as much value to you guys as possible. Um, so to kick things off. Uh, I'll start off by talking about networking, and then I'll go into like the business and like entrepreneurship type of thing. So um, the biggest, so networking now happens in two places. It literally happens. It used to only happen in one. It used to happen face to face, right? Before like social media got big. Now networking is happening face to face and on social media, um, which includes LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Like all these things are happening on on these platforms now, as well as it is in person. The problem is, is that when people think about networking on like things like LinkedIn, they get like they kind of forget about all the like regular things and social aspects of dealing with people in person. What people have to understand is social media basically just extended our in-person capabilities to network, and they it made it possible to do it at scale. So now you can go on LinkedIn like at night and meet a bunch of different people or connect with a bunch of different people just as how you would in person. So a lot of the same things that you do in person, you, you want to apply those things um, on social media as well um, to try to like build connections with people. Uh, now, networking for me, when I hear the word networking, I think about creating connections with people, right? So when I think about networking, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I form some form of connection with this person? For me, the, the thing that works the most usually making connections with people is when I'm talking about things that are not related to like why I'm like my industry like pharmacy let's say so a lot of times when I'm trying to network with people 
and connect with them, I'm trying to figure out how can we connect on something that's not related specifically to pharmacy. Obviously, if you can connect with something in pharmacy, like you went to the same school, or you both own independent pharmacies, or whatever the case may be, that's obviously great. But I'd also like to know, like, who's your, like, what's your favorite sport? I'd like to know what's your favorite podcast. I'd like to know what do you like doing for fun? Is it snowboarding? Is it running? Like, how, what, what are the different ways that you can connect there? Because to me, those types of connections are what actually drives relationships and networking for, like, um, long term. And the problem is, is now is that, like, you can hit the connect button with anyone on LinkedIn. You, go, you can go to my LinkedIn now. I think I have a couple thousand people following me, but like, honestly, I probably only connected genuinely with like a handful of those people. And that's because all they do is hit a connect button and then call it a day, you know, or send me a quick email, you know, and just say, you know, ask me one quick question and call it a day. And it's like something related to pharmacy or what they're asking for advice for what they're doing. That's not, that's not genuinely how you connect with people. So when you're, when you're, especially when you're in person or on social media, I would look for things that are that are that are not as clearly obvious to try to potentially connect with someone. You could use their demographics. You could use if you know what city they're in, because usually on LinkedIn it says what city they're from. You could assume that they might have a sport or a team that they like and try to potentially connect there. One way or another, I think those are the types of ways and ways that you can identify or look for a post. Because people post things on LinkedIn or they like LinkedIn is so like you can get so weird on LinkedIn because you can see like the stuff that people like on LinkedIn. So what you can do is, is like, I mean, I'm not going to call it stalking because obviously like you can like get in trouble for things like that, but like you could borderline stalk some of these people on LinkedIn because you can go and look at the history of things that they like. And that can tell, that can give you a way to like connect with them on a, on a level that no one else might have because you saw that they liked a post about this. You can respond to them and say, Hey, I saw you like this, or, or you know, I, have you heard about this? You know, and then like send them a message or something like that. And those are little ways that you can end up connecting. These are like real specific tactics about connecting on LinkedIn. But just hitting the connect button, you know, a million times is not what is really going to do that. Um, I think a heavily, a heavily underutilized um, way to network on social media is Twitter, because Twitter is slowly starting to become, you know, it's probably because of the world we live in now with the current um, politics and how the president's using Twitter a lot. Now a lot of people are flocking back to Twitter. Um, some reasons bad, but some reasons good. But there's a lot of, I connect with a ton of pharmacists genuinely on Twitter. Like I literally have friends right now that I can tweet something out and I could have maybe five or 10 pharmacists across the nation respond and provide some help in one way or another. Um, and that, that to me is heavily underutilized, I think. Um, and the cool thing about Twitter, which I think LinkedIn has as well, is that Twitter, you can search a sentence and you could find who's tweeting about it. So you can search the sentence, um, you know, improving adherence, and you could see what pharmacist has ever said the words in a tweet, or what, uh, obviously not what pharmacist, but you can see all the people that tweeted out improving adherence, and you could search those profiles and see which of them are pharmacists, and you can connect with them. Or if you're in a role that you're trying to connect with physicians, you could do that same thing with physicians and build networking that way. So there's a lot of like, hidden tools and hidden things that you can do in these platforms to uh, start connecting with people on different levels um, and even just finding them on different levels. Because if you find and connect with someone on Twitter and they're active on Twitter, they are going to engage with you. But if you message them on LinkedIn, they probably got 20 LinkedIn messages that day. But on Twitter, they did not. So I think Twitter is heavily underutilized in that sense. One thing I think is, 
people get overwhelmed with, and I, I, you know, I would say it, it happens to me as well too. Even though I, I consider myself fairly outgoing, is that when you show up to in-person events, this is switching to in-person now. When you show up to in-person events, there's a ton of people there, people trying to obviously have the same goals, they're trying to network just like you are, they're trying to find jobs, but it's overwhelming. And I think the key to overcoming that that nature of being overwhelmed is uh, trying to plan uh, what you're going to do there and who you're potentially going to talk to. And we can go back to using some of those same tactics of finding those people on LinkedIn um, or Twitter so you can initially see, one, what they look like, what their interests might be. So that way, when you show up to an event that is uh, fairly overwhelming, you'll feel a little bit more comforted knowing, knowing that you have a plan. And it'll make, it'll make things easier instead of just blindly showing up and saying, like, walking through the door, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Whereas you might have done, like, a month in advance, you started researching some of these people um, and some of these organizations to try to talk to them. So I think the in-person thing is uh, is something that I think you should we have to plan better for if you want to network well and not be overwhelmed. Is doing that research um, and going a little bit of using those tactics I talked about on social media to go a little bit deeper into learning about the people um, that way you feel more comfortable when you actually do find them um, in person. So switching over to um, Switching over to kind of like entrepreneurship and like owning a pharmacy. How many here like like ideally would own their own pharmacy? So maybe like a quarter of the room I would say would probably own their own pharmacy. So I at some point thought about owning my own pharmacy, and I when I my as you know like I didn't do a residency. I went straight into community. Um, my I thought like it was definitely on my mind to do that. When I worked at Target, they were very uh, providing your own ownership of doing things at the, at the store. And obviously, I had goals of like moving up and doing certain things. Um, but I also like had ambitions of like operating and creating initiatives and running my own pharmacy. And as I, as I start to move away from my clinical roles, as well, when I say clinical roles, when, as I start to move away from patient, direct patient care out of the community pharmacy, more and more I'm getting passionate about helping independent pharmacies thrive helping owners um, do really well with their stores and, and survive in their current market. So the last time that you guys were at Pathways and you heard me talk, you probably heard me talk a lot about automation and how uh, a lot of the different technologies are coming in and making, like they're basically doing all the jobs that we do at these, at these facilities. I want to say that like in clarity, we shouldn't, it's not that we're not going to own these pharmacies anymore. It's not that pharmacists are not going to be part of the pharmacy experience. Just the things that we do there is going to drastically change. So, while you can own a pharmacy today and it'd be nothing like the pharmacy five years ago, you're still going to be a pharmacy owner. And but instead of providing prescriptions, you're going to be providing um, personalized um, medication care, like medication therapy management. You know, you I'll call it MTM, but it's not the MTM we know now, where you're at a call center and you're trying to pump out calls every ten minutes. That's not like that's not to me what true MTM actually is. Um, they're doing that here because that's a business model that they have to sustain, um, which I get it, that makes sense. But if you own your own pharmacy, you get to control that. So you can spend an hour with a patient if you want to um, because your, your time was freed up because you have a robot dispensing your prescription. So th these are the types of things that we have to try to say, all right, I definitely still want to own a, a pharmacy, but how am I going to compete now? How am I going to compete in this, in this environment where DR fees are killing you? Um, when you're competing with the CVS across the street, um, you know, and you're, you're having trouble finding hours and paying people, like that, that those those starts those things start to become realities um, when you own your own store. 
So the key, what I would do if I was running my own pharmacy, the key now is operating a pharmacy itself, like having buying the medications, finding a computer software system. Um, those are things that are all pretty much done for you already. Like you don't have to think about those things really, because it's all automated and, and, and like you can just find out. You literally hire a consultant. You fire, find out what computer software do I implement. The consultant will likely help you get through all the DA. Um, DEA like filings and, and get your pharmacy going. Opening the doors of a pharmacy, I think, is not the hard part. The hard part is is sustaining that business by getting more patients or get, or offering more services to your patients. The way to successfully do that is one, come up with innovative ideas to like serve your patients and provide profitable services, but that will fail if you can't market them. So. What we have to understand as we start to become business owners and entrepreneurs is that like we need to become better at marketing. It's like something that we have to take seriously. Not not even if you're not an entrepreneur, you have to become better at marketing yourself um, and your brand. And that a lot of the times are the same skill sets um, that's needed. So even if you are going into a, a role that's a corporate role or um, you, you don't want to actually own your own business, you still at some point are probably going to need to develop some skills about marketing, which kind of also goes back to but as an owner, what I would do if I had a store is figure out how do I get more patients. And what I'm seeing now, what pharmacies do, does anyone follow like independent pharmacies on social media? Do you remember like what kind of posts you guys see them doing? Okay. Like promoting a service? Yeah. So obviously you have to promote your services because you want people to know what it is that, that you have available there. But one of the biggest uh, opportunities as an independent owner Obviously, this could be done at a corporate level as well, but this is a lot harder to do at the corporate level because what I'm about to talk about can only happen locally. So as a local independent pharmacy, your goal is to get the patients around you to come to your pharmacy or to, or to uh, buy your services. So the biggest opportunity that, um, that these pharmacies have is to become, as a way of brand awareness and as a way of reaching more people and driving engagement, is becoming the newspaper. And what I, what I mean by that is on social media, instead of posting about, you know, that their sunscreen is on sale, you know, because summer's coming up, um, or that they have flu shots, instead, um, they would promote the fact that their high school football team just won a state title or a district title. Or they would post about their, uh, you know, a, a nearby college, they had some organization that raised X amount of funds for cancer research. Like these are, and these are local things that they should be promoting because uh, a lot of times their local uh, patients are is the audience. And if I if I'm scrolling through my feed and I see the same thing over and over that you your pharmacy has flu shots available or come in because we have you know Shingrix or um, come get your flu shot. Like if I see that all the time, I'm gonna get immune as I'm going through my feed to seeing that same thing. But if I see um, oh awesome news, you know. Uh, you know, we work. We now we now partnered with the, the the pizza shop next door. You can get a free large slice of pizza if you like come pick up your prescription. Like, literally, like little things like that is like how you promote your services and how you promote your brand by working with nearby organizations, nearby schools, um, or nearby businesses. Or let's say you're not too far, because I've actually talked to like the other day. I talked to a pharmacy that they're in a small town in like Kansas or something. Um, Kentucky. I don't remember. It's okay. Uh, they, ha they have a very small town where their pharmacy is located, 
but not too far away, there's another town that sometimes patients come, um, come uh, to there, to their pharmacy. Being able to go to that town and highlighting a particular business coming from a, a pharmacy from a, a, like a town not too far away because they wanted to see something in that town starts to spark awareness about your brand as a pharmacy. It starts to spread awareness. And you do that for, it takes time. It's not going to happen, obviously, in a month. But if you have a strategy like that in place for your particular pharmacy when you own a store, that's how you would build um, that sort of uh, brand awareness about your pharmacy at scale. And people won't get like used to just like scrolling through and passing through your feed. So that's like really deep into the weeds of like what I think um, pharmacy owners should be doing and thinking about. Uh, if you guys are looking to like eventually own your own pharmacy, that is like you have to start thinking about these different ways that you can um, reach people without it being a sales pitch. Like a lot of times we just want to sell our services, but it's a little counterintuitive. But you actually need to sell less on social media and do less about the sales and services that you offer and more about like community, like things that are going on in your community because that's going to drive the awareness of, of your pharmacy. And that's what's going to take to like be able to compete with the CVS next door because the CVS next door is not going to be posting on social media about the local um, high school that just, you know, won a, a district title. So with that, I think that one other thing too, now this is going back to people that in general, like this isn't just for pharmacy owners, but for your general career. Um, one thing that I think we need to do better that I didn't talk about at Pathways is start saying yes to things. Start saying yes to random opportunities. If you see something like popping up, whether it be an event, an organization, a job opportunity, um, I would highly get out of the business of saying no and get into the business of saying yes. Because that yes that you do, you, you might say 10 yeses, the fourth yes would be something significant. And maybe even the eighth yes would be something significant. The other eight will be insignificant, and you might think of it as your waste of your time. But if you weren't in that business of saying yes all the time, you would have missed out on that fourth and that seventh opportunity. So get in the business of saying yes to things. The reason that I'm in my current position now is because I I've always been someone that says yes to things. Like This isn't something that like a new thing that just came to me. I've always been that way. And one thing that happened to me in my third year is that a startup company came to the school. When I say came to the school, they sent out an email to, the, to every student about who wants to um, write scripts for um, a video company. And me, it was me and four, literally me and three other students. So four of us total are the only ones that said yes. And we all got the job for this. And it, was, you know, it wasn't anything crazy to get the job. It was a simple phone interview, whatever. They just, they just needed pharmacy students. But only four of us said yes. I, being one of those four, I'm now the president of that company. So that is, that is a, a story of, like, if I wasn't in the business of always saying yes, that would have been an opportunity I might have said no to. I would still be working in, in, in a community pharmacy right now. Now, there's a problem with that, but this is a significant step in my career that I would not have the opportunity if I didn't say yes to that. So get in the business of, like, saying yes to things. As you say yes to these new opportunities and you start getting into some of these roles, we need to also start humbling ourselves in, in, in our expertise and our passion for patient care. Because when we go out to, when we go to an institution, hospital, pharmacy, whatever, whether it's another healthcare professional or a patient, they have no idea how much of an expert we are in what we do. They have absolutely no idea. They might, some of them might think that they know and give us the praise, but they still don't know. 
And then some of us will treat us like crap because they have no idea. But we need to like get a blind eye and not care about what those people think about us and be humbled and, and understand what our expertise is and always be like willing to act on that and have like the and, and like have like the be the bigger person in that in that position to like be like they just don't know and continue on doing what we're doing. And I say that because you're gonna go out in the field and you're gonna get by little belittled by nurses, belittled by um, physicians, belittled by your patients. But don't take any of that personal. Because the minute that you don't take that personal and you execute on your expertise and you show your your passion for patient care, they're gonna know what they're gonna know what's up. They're gonna realize it later on. So but if we have this, if we sit on this high horse of like I'm a doctor, you should call me doctor too, and um, you know, you better address me how I should be addressed, like we're we're not gonna do the things that we wanna do. We're we're almost hindering ourselves when we think that way and we have that mindset. Obviously, we know what we did. We know the experts that we know we're doctors. We know we're, we're equivalent, essentially, to what a physician can do just on the medication side. But we don't need to like have we don't need to have them have it come out of the mouth because that's hindering our ability to like really be successful in our careers and provide great patient care. So I'm gonna end on that note. Uh, thank you guys so much for your attention, and I want to open up for Q and A because I think we have about 30 minutes. Left, so thank you guys. I appreciate it. So the first question from the audience was um, about marketing and kind of making connections. And uh, what the student had asked was uh, how to make uh, some of these um, kind of not so conventional connections with people without kind of making it um, awkward, I guess. Like, how do you get over that first, like, awkward hump? Yeah. Um, so the way it worked for me is like, hey, um, you know, nice to meet you. Like, you know, it's a crazy event here. Hey, super random question. And like you preface it with that, so they know you're not just gonna come. It's just like super random question. Right there, they're gonna be like, "What is he about to ask me?" And then it be something so subtle as like something personal like that. The person that finds that weird, or like, or says this person's unprofessional, you don't want to network with them. Like, and and it's you're gonna you, there's gonna be people like that out there. But one thing is is that they're gonna remember you. So whether they talk nicely about you in the future. Or they just kind of like, like just not know what was going on there and pass on something. You're gonna find the people that you're gonna generally connect with, and when you do make that connection, it's gonna be with the person you wanted to connect with, and that's what's gonna drive like those long-term types of relationships. But for me, uh, especially if it's an in-person thing, I like to kind of preface it with like, "Look, um, this is like, like I got this is super random, but I just really wanted to ask you this," and then you just go into whatever it is might be, or you know, you, um, whatever it is that you'd like to talk about then. Um, immediately after that, you can move to something else about that's more quote unquote appropriate about like why you're there for whether it be a residency or whatever it is that you're trying to network with them about. But they're going to remember you for that one thing that you initially mentioned. And that to me is like that. The, those memories and memorable things are the things that for me is what end up sticking out in the long run. Next question was, what is it that VUCA Health does, and how are the videos accessed by patients, and is it patient centered? Sure. Yeah. So it's a good question. So um, what our company does is we create medication education videos, and we license those videos out to like health systems, pharmacies, specialty pharmacies, and mobile applications. Uh, we have one particular solution that we have where, um, and we, mo we work mostly with independent pharmacies in this, in this way, is that a, uh, we get a QR code that goes right on the patient's vial when they pick up a prescription, and the patient can scan that vial um, with their smartphone, and they get a video about that particular medication. 
then they also get access to um, patient education sheets and uh, med guides so they don't have to get all that paperwork that, that the pharmacies normally dispense with. So that's what our, that's what our solution does for independent pharmacies. Um, in terms of is it, is it patient-centered, uh, I think one of the reasons why I think I'm great at leading the company is because my goal with everything that I do is about the patient. And I know that there's things that have to come along with that, including business success and marketing success and initiatives. But all of it for me goes back to the patient. So our, our medication education videos are patient-centric. It's for the patient to understand. We try to write them between like a fifth, sixth grade level is the goal to try to write these, these, um, these scripts for these videos. Um, so any patient can really understand it. And um, what's interesting about that is like I worked as a pharmacist in Miami and um, in, in an area called Brickell. Right, which is, a, I don't know who's from South Florida, but it's a fairly fancy area. Um, but it's also uh, downtown, which is where it's near, is also a lot of um, people that are homeless um, that live there. And I worked at Publix and we had free medications, uh, a free medication list. So homeless people obviously, was, was, um, it's a great service for them. But what, that, what, what happened is, what I learned is, is that I could have a homeless person walk into the pharmacy um, and, and, and ask me about like how to use an inhaler. And an hour later, I can have someone that owns a private jet walk into that pharmacy and ask me how to use that inhaler. So health literacy is not, is not like an educational thing like about like someone's background, like if they're a lawyer, if they're you know, a financial expert, or if they're homeless. They're still not going to know about the medication, no matter what level of education they probably have. And that's why it's important for us to create these videos in that way, um, because it doesn't matter to me. Like It doesn't matter how much education you have. We still need to break this down like in a simple way for you to understand. Um, because health literacy is a huge problem. And that's kind of what, where we, we stand on that. So it's all patient-centric. It's all patient -centric. The next question was, is uh, what VUCA Health provides, is it an actual uh, uh, like mobile app? Yeah. So good question. So when, when you scan, so there's two ways of creating um, a mobile experience for a patient or for a user. So this is just going to be general, but I'll, I'll get to specific. You can create an app, which you can get off the app store, which requires app development. Or you can create a website, which like lies on the internet, um, which doesn't require um, like pushing of updates and things like that. I mean, that's like really intriguing. But our particular platform, when you scan that, it takes you to a website that's hosted by us. So the patient actually doesn't have to download any other apps to access this. We actually don't have a mobile app. Um, our company houses the, uh, the videos on a website for that solution. Now we do have an API, which is it's uh, API stands for Application Programming Interface. Uh, basically, it allows our videos to be integrated into someone else's website or someone else's application, like a like a like from the App Store. So we do have certain customers that will use that API to integrate our videos into their own app, which then patients can download and always get access to, or they can integrate our videos into that website. They're developing a website. They can use our API to integrate the videos into that website. Do you integrate with the pharmacy management software systems? Yes, it does. So our solution with the QR code, it it's absolutely a requirement um, for, for the most part that we have to integrate with that pharmacy management system for them to be able to uh, include that QR code on there. Um, and, and it's really interesting. I mean, I, I didn't know about I didn't even know about like pharmacy management systems being a business um, before I got to the role on it. I mean, it's just something we just don't really learn about. But there's about there's about like 10 to 20 different um, pharmacy management systems that serve uh, the majority of independent pharmacies. 
now CVS and like Walgreens, some, some of those people will build their own pharmacy management system, so it's all internal. And some of them would use like an enterprise system like Publix does, they'll, they'll use um, McKesson's system and that's like um, enterprises. What's interesting about pharmacy management systems is there's pharmacists also working for those companies, which obviously makes sense, like they're designing programs for pharmacists, you should have pharmacists working there. So that's another, that's just a random opportunity that pharmacists, you know, could have out there. Um, even, and I think a community pharmacist is the best pharmacist for that type of role because you you have lived the day-to-day -day of what, what the needs are of those pharmacists and patients. Um, so why not you be the one to like design those experiences um, for the patients and pharmacists. So, yeah, but we do have to work with them um, to integrate with those. Those really are our main partners. This one was a good question. Are there any apps out there that help patients manage their medications? There are. There's a lot of apps, actually. Yeah, there, there's like five major ones that like, um, one of the apps is actually uh, one of our partners. They use our videos in their application. And that's, it's called MediSafe. Um, so if you download, you, anyone could download MediSafe on, on their phone. It's a medication reminder app, essentially. Um, and they have millions of users. They have, I think, at least five million users um, that, that have access to like those reminders. The way that they use our videos is if, is if a patient wants to like get reminded about the medication, what if they forgot what they're using it for? They just go to our video and get information about it. But there's a lot of apps actually out there um, that, that are available. One thing about entrepreneurship too is uh, the underutilization of Google. Like Google has the answers to literally everything. It's ridiculous. So like the way that I learned how to market, the way that I learned how to start a business, the way that I learned how to do almost everything that I do. I literally start at Google and just start Googling the stuff. So like if there's things that you want to do, like don't be scared to just hit Google and like go through some like a couple pages of search and find the answer. Um, but like when you have like an interest like that, you can just Google it. And the reason I, I, I'm bringing this up is because there's not always a time that you have these thoughts and think to think about it um, to talk that we can talk about. But I'm sure you're going to have more thoughts maybe like later today, tomorrow, next week. Google it and get educated about it because there's so much about like there's so much that's going on in pharmacy that we just have no idea about. Because in school, we're stuck in a box, which I understand. Like, we have to become pharmacists and graduate. But there's so much more opportunities out there that we have no idea about. There should be, there's, I don't think there's a pharmacist working for that company. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, I can't really go on the record if that's official. But they definitely should have a pharmacist working there. And any new, any app or any platform that has patient care or patient education involved, a pharmacist should be on staff or at the bare minimum, a consultant for them. And all these companies have no idea of our, again, they don't know about our expertise. So we need to start marketing ourselves better to show that. Because these, there's so many roles out there for us um, to be able to like be a part of. Yet all we're hearing is like news of stores closing and news of like how bad the industry is. But they have no idea that like on the back end of all these like technologies happening, there's opportunities for us to take advantage of and be a part of. So we need to like also start thinking about every time you hear some bad news happening, just know that on the back end of like something, there's like more opportunities popping up for us. We just, we're just not, we just don't know about them because we're not Googling the things to like figure it out and learn about all these things. So, good question. One of my favorite questions was, is it hard to be an entrepreneur? And what advice do I have for people that are thinking about being an entrepreneur? All year that I've talked, that's probably one of the best questions I've had. No offense to anyone in here that's asked me a question before, but that's a really good question. And the reason is, is because a lot of people are confused about entrepreneurship and the fact that a lot of people, like, they try to build their brand and do all these things so they can work less. Right? They, 
think it's going to be easier. You think it's going to be better. But like owning your own business, it's like you're, you have it's like having two jobs to do. So it's almost like at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, you're borderline working eight, eight hours a week to be an entrepreneur. Usually, usually, that's being that you're starting everything. Um, you're the one responsible for everything because if there's a problem on your day off, you don't have a day off, right? Like you, you're the one responding to that. So I think a mindset about entrepreneurs is the fact that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to realize you're likely going to have to be working way more and it's going to be much harder and much more stressful over the long run. When I say over the long run, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Initially, it's going to be way more harder and way more stressful than what you would have been working if you just got a regular job. Because when you show up to the pharmacy, like, or whatever job you have, like, you just you clock in, you show up, you do what you need to do, you walk out, you go home, and that's it. And that's your 40 hours a week, right? Sometimes you have, like, oh, my God, I have to come in an hour early. I have to stay an hour late every day. That's still not compared to, like, the work that entrepreneurs do. I know it sucks because, like, some people are not getting paid for that one hour, but that's a, that's a big thing that, like, community pharmacies have a problem with. But then they don't realize if they actually wanted to own that pharmacy and they were, like, the last line of defense for that pharmacy that they would not be working. They would not have a day off. So I think that that's one, like, thing to, like, understand about, like, a true like what true entrepreneurship and what the reality is for the most part because if there's a small leak in the pharmacy if you're working at a Walgreens or CVS you call support and they come they send someone to come and fix it and you continue on with your day if you own that pharmacy you were the one you were the support like <laughs> you're either fixing it yourself or you're on the phone with plumbers or different people like trying to figure out like what to do so that's I think something that is not clear with entrepreneurship um, and I think the next part of your question was like, what should people do, I think, to, um, like, if they were thinking about it, uh, I think is that, or, or like what the benefits are. The thing about the benefits are, someone like me, I like to know, like, I'm at my best when I know I'm in control. And I think that even, like, accountability is big for, like, an entrepreneurship. And I think we love that. Like, entrepreneurs, like, for the most part, love accountability because they know that, like, if something happens, it was their fault. Good and bad. It's your fault. It's up to you. So I think great entrepreneurs do that. But I also think that that role of accountability plays a role pretty much everywhere. I mean, if you go and you're actually going to be an employer at another at another job, is to like understand that like everything that happens in your immediate control is your fault. But also realize that you can't control everything, and it's okay. Like that's just the that's just the nature of like you being an employee of a particular job. It's like you can't control everything. So only worry and focus on what you can control. A lot of stress, a lot of the sources of stress that occur to people that are in, are employers are they're, they're worried about the things that they cannot control, right? So like you shouldn't be worried about things you can't control because you can't control it. So I think if you're going to be an employer somewhere or employee somewhere, um, focus on the things that you can control and be happy with the outcomes of that because you were able to control that. Anything outside of that has nothing to do with you because you can't control it. Um, the long-term, I think, effect of it is that you, you are, for the most part, an entrepreneur. You're doing it because that's what you want to do. And given that you're successful in that, at any given moment, like at, later on down the line in your career, you'll get the opportunity to do whatever, like you'll be doing whatever it is that you want to do at all times. So if you don't want to work Monday and Tuesday, you don't work Monday and Tuesday because your, your business is doing well. And you have employees that are running it. You want to go on vacation with your kids or your family, whatever the case may be. Those, are, those to me, are what the real benefits are. The problem is, is that 
it'll take you like 10 years, 20 years to get to that point. But I'd rather put in 10, 15 years of like extremely hard work to get to a point where later on I can have the, like the luxury to take a week off whenever I decide to and I don't have to request that. That for me is, is what, what like drives me to continue trying out trying every day. What regions do, uh, does VUCA Health operate and what com- competition do we have? So uh, I think about, I think about uh, our company is a national company, so I don't think in regions for the most part. Um, when I think about competition, we have competition who's a national competitor. Um, we're lucky in the fact that our video education library is, has no direct competition. So there's no one on earth that has the amount of medication-specific videos they might have written content, but I wouldn't, or maybe even a little bit of audio, but I would not consider them a direct competitor because they just they can't compete on that level. They might think they're competitors, but um, we, we really don't because we're, you either want our particular service or you don't. There's no like, like you want it, but you have to choose. It's like you, you want our education videos or you don't want it. Um, we do have some indirect competition in the sense of, uh, a lot of times people don't want video. They think that it's not, you know, they're like, oh, people are not going to watch it or they can't access it. And that is technically indirect competition because it's, it's going against, obviously, the success of our business. Um, so that's a, that's a thing that we compete with and we, have to, we're trying, we try to overcome is like educating people as to why video consumption on Facebook and YouTube is like at records high people consuming video and that's how people want to learn, um, which is what we should be giving our patients to learn about their medication. How do you keep up with the people you're connected with? Uh, and also, how do you foster your networking and build relationships? Uh, I do it, for the most part, not on LinkedIn. Um, for, for me, I do it on Twitter a lot or through email and text messaging. Um, because to me, that's just more personal. Like when, I, when I can get your number and I'm texting you, like, we're boys or homegirls. You know, like, so for me, that to me is how I usually keep up that type of relationship. Um, usually through email, and then when I go to meetings, I try to schedule meetings with them. Um, I say, hey, you know, and I, and I do this literally every show I go to. I'm reaching out to people. Hey, I saw you're going to be at this place, or are you going to be here? I'm going to be there. Let's grab dinner. Let's grab lunch. Let's, let's meet at your booth. Let's find some sort of just connection, like where we can just talk for five minutes, whatever the case may be. Sometimes it's an hour dinner. Sometimes it's just a quick hello, five-minute talk, whatever. Um, uh, that's, how, that's just how I do it. But a lot of times it's, it starts with LinkedIn and that initial connection happens with LinkedIn um, but it, it ends up being on like some of the more personal platforms like email, Twitter and text messages. Answer your question. Do you have another part to that? Or Does it ever become overwhelming? It, it is. Yeah. And like I don't I'm lucky that I don't like that I don't have this problem now but there's people that have way more followers than I do that um, not necessarily in pharmacy just in general that they get their inboxes and their text messaging is like hundreds of messages that they go through. Like at some point, that could get overwhelming. I'm lucky now where I, I, I can barely manage it for the most part. Sometimes I miss like some messages here and there that like people send me a DM or a text. And sometimes I'll just like, I'll get back to it and I get like caught up in some other things and I just miss it. So it does get overwhelming. And like right now, I have like 30 connections waiting in my inbox for LinkedIn. I have to like, and like now I'm trying to be more selective because like some of them, like there's like these random people. That are like financial advisors. Like when you become a pharmacist, you're gonna get freaking slammed with financial advisors, like trying to like like get your business because you're gonna make making money. 
and need to manage it. Which I'm not. I'm not saying that like you don't. You shouldn't have one. But even when you do get one, you're still going to get like a hundred people like asking you if you want a financial advisor. So um, I have a lot of those people in my LinkedIn inbox. I'm like I like go through because if, if I accept all of them, I'm getting an email and and they're like one of those like people that are just looking for like more business. I'll accept it and like ten minutes later I'll get an email like hey do you, like do you need business or like da da no like because I want to respond and be nice. I think I know they have a meeting in like ten minutes, um, but just send me a DM if there's anything I can do to help out with anything. But thank you guys so much for being such an appreciate. Well, that wraps up this episode, and also kind of the theming of kind of going to these schools and talking to students. Um, uh, the next couple episodes are going to be more centered around kind of how episodes have been in the past where it's going to be just one-on-one interviews. So I hope you guys did kind of enjoy that little mini series, um, that wasn't really planned, but it just worked out where I did a lot of them back to back and had the content to edit. So don't forget to follow me on any of your favorite social media platforms. I'd love to connect. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you have a great rest of your day.